Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Let me ask you, why do you come to church? Why do you come to Cornerstone? If it's a, yeah, that's a good reason, yeah. Uh, Jen and I, we come here to to honor the Lord, uh, to learn and to be encouraged, uh, and to come and be with family. Even though we are away from Lynchburg more than we're here, uh, this is still our church family. And we have relationships with people here that go back uh, over 40 years. And so we consider this our family. Uh, but you know what? The benefits that we have of coming to church would not be possible without the service of a lot of people. Uh, and the service especially of our elders. We have uh, <coughs> Willie Taylor, who's one of our elders. He's our pastor, elder. But we have two other pastor elders, John Dadio and Sam Dulcey. And uh, the, the service that they give is very significant and costly to us. Uh, and the scripture makes it clear. We talked about Jesus as the center. He's called the chief shepherd. But the chief shepherd also is appointed under shepherds. Uh, there was a time <clears throat> back in the early 70s and I went through kind of a rebellious phase uh, against what I thought was the institutional church. And I thought it might be a good idea for let's just do away with leadership <clears throat> and let's just all as Christians, let's just get together and let the Holy Spirit lead us and, and just let it happen. And so they were, we managed to get about another 20 or so rebellious souls like me. And uh, <clears throat> we got together, and that worked okay for a short while, but as soon as there began to be issues where there wasn't agreement, we didn't really have a way to deal with it. And so what happened was that the Let It Happen Church didn't happen. <laughs> And so we had to had to repent of that and begin to realize that there's a reason that God has appointed leaders in the church. And uh, this is his plan. We find some examples in the scriptures. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Peter is writing, and so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He's writing to the elders now. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, the elders who are 
who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work at preaching and teaching. You know, preaching and teaching is work. (laughs) Uh, Over the years, I've talked to a number of people who preached, and I say, well, how long do you prepare for a sermon? And usually the answer is somewhere between 10 and 20 hours. And if you're an introvert like me, it's more like 20 hours. (laughs) Uh, And because if you're going to feed the sheep, you don't want to feed them straw. You want to feed them something good. And so that's uh, the prayer and the study and the thinking and preparation is, is work for preaching and teaching. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 13, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. They are keeping watch over your souls. Uh... You know, there are a lot of people who are believers who just say, well, it's just all I need is to be with Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. And they ignore the fact that Jesus said, I'm appointing people who will watch over your souls. And we have that here at Cornerstone. You know, St. Paul, we think of him as, uh, can you think of anyone in history who is more gifted than St. Paul, other than the Lord himself? What he did was just incredible. And yet, St. Paul, when he talked about what the Lord had put him through, uh, he described many things that had happened to him, including uh, the things that he endured. He said he had countless beatings. Uh, How many beatings have we had for the Lord? I doubt many of us have had any beatings for the Lord. He's had countless. He was often near death. Three times he received 40 lashes. And those 40 lashes, you know, remember the descriptions of the scourges? They just ripped the skin. And many people died for that. from that. Uh, he was stoned once. <clears throat> the purpose of stoning was to kill someone. Uh, He was shipwrecked, and then he goes on and he caps all of this, these things that he endured. In 2 Corinthians, he says, In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And then, what could be harder than all of this? And apart from these things, other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. <laughs> Paul, he, he concludes describing the price that he paid to follow the Lord as an apostle, and, and all the apostles were elders as well, was that the pressure that he felt, the anxiety of the, the churches. Now, it's interesting, this same St. Paul in Philippians 4 <clears throat> said, Be anxious for nothing. He said, don't be anxious. 
And yet here he says he was anxious. So was he a hypocrite? <laughs> well, no. We just, it's normal. It's a normal reaction for us to be anxious, but we have to give it to the Lord. And he said, don't be anxious for anything, but with everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, let what you need be made known to the Lord. So we take, he had to take that anxiety. But a lot of that, the pressure was his care for the churches. Now, if he didn't care about the churches, it wouldn't be a pressure, would it? And our elders who love and care for us, the sheep, there's a great, great deal of pressure with that. So let's think, what are so heavy? <clears throat> Why is it such a heavy burden that the elders have accepted in their service to, eat, to us? And I, I can speak a little bit from experience on this. Uh, for 26 years, I held the office of an elder. Uh, 13 of those years was here at Cornerstone. And uh, so I can identify with, with the following points. What are the responsibilities of an elder? Well, one is praying fervently for the flock. And praying fervently is not just simply saying, okay, Lord, bless the people, amen. <laughs> no, there's a concern about what's going on and the needs of the church and so on. Uh, another responsibility is feeding the flock. Uh, being sure that what the flock is getting is what they need, the, the, the nourishment they need, that they're not getting any bad food. Um, there was a story I heard years ago <coughs> that in a church, they needed some Sunday school teachers, and they asked a man who was a dentist, would, would you teach Sunday school? And he recalled back and said, you want me to teach Sunday school? That I, I had to go to graduate school for four years to be able to take care, take care of someone's teeth. And you want me to take care of people's souls? <laughs> uh, he had a, uh, an awareness of the fact of that kind of responsibility of feeding the flock. Elders have a responsibility of being a blameless example. You know, if, if most of us, if we mess up in some way to bring shame on us. The shame falls on us. But if a pastor does that, the shame falls on the whole church and especially on the Lord. And so to be very careful about everything, every minute of their lives, to be an example to the flock, to be able to pay the price and live the kind of life that God called us to. Part of the, the weight of a, on an elder Elders also have a responsibility of, of helping families in trouble. Uh, sometimes it might be parents with teenagers that are rebellious. Um, it could be that uh, there's conflicts within marriage. And that brings us another point of what the elder's responsibility is, is to help Resolve conflicts. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, if you have a problem with someone, if someone is sinned against you, what are you supposed to do? First step, you go to that person alone. You know, <clears throat> if somebody has offended me, 
I don't need to go to some other person and talk about it. What's that called? Gossip. It's gossip. Yeah, that's no good. So you go to that person alone. If if they listen to you and you reconcile, then that's good. And that'll be what happened most of the time. But if they don't, the scripture says, well, then if they don't listen to you, bring two or, one or, two or three witnesses, one or two witnesses with you that can maybe be mediators or maybe they can you know, help give perspective to what's going on. But then Jesus says, if that doesn't work, <clears throat> then you take them to the church. Now, I don't take that to mean that, okay, we get you know, 100 people together to deal with it, but to, who represents the church, the leadership? And it says, if the <clears throat> and then if they don't even listen there, then you have to treat them as outsiders. And Paul called for discipline. Uh, one of the things that he wrote the Corinthian church about was that he rebuked them for not applying discipline. <clears throat> one of the members of the church was sleeping with his stepmother, and they just let it slide. And Paul said, this is not good. And so that's another thing uh, that goes along with mediating, is the correction uh, and bringing discipline. And this is no fun. Uh, thankfully, it's not something that happens all the time. But, you know, if you have, any of you ever raised children who rebelled against you sometimes? <laughs> you know, bringing discipline even with their own children is hard. Bringing discipline to grown-ups is even harder. Uh, their responsibilities of elders includes administration. A lot of stuff that when you have people gathered together of any type of group, and there could be legal issues, could be just practical functional issues, uh, paying the bills, and so on. Uh, <clears throat> another responsibility is guarding against wolves. Now, what's a wolf? Well, the picture of Jesus as the shepherd said there will be wolves that come among you, the wolves that come to, to uh, damage the sheep. There have been a couple of times in the years we've been at Cornerstone when we've had wolves come in. They come in and they want to say things about Jesus that are not true. Uh, another thing a wolf can do sometimes, they'll come in and, st and stir up strife and try to get people uh, pitted against each other. <clears throat> Elders have to be on guard, watching against that and be able to protect the rest of us when those wolves come in. Uh, and if someone has a complaint about the church, who are they normally going to complain about? <laughs> They're going to complain about the leaders. And the, uh, so one of the responsibilities of elders is to be able to respond to criticism in a gracious way. And, you know, and when, when Jesus uh, was accused falsely, he didn't defend himself. Uh, and we have his example to follow. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, there's training of leadership. Ephesians chapter 4 says that the role of the pastor, of the, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, the role of the leadership in the church is to do all the ministry. Is that right? 
No, it's to equip the saints for the ministry. So training and and, uh, raising up a leadership is a heavy, important responsibility of the elders. And then finally, they also have to oversee the financial needs of the church. You know, for a church to function, it needs money. So with all these things that are the responsibilities of an elder, and as Paul said, for even Paul, it said it involved some sleepless nights caring for them. Does that sound like a fun job? (laughs) Do any other people want to volunteer to uh, become elders? And Paul said (coughs) uh, that it's a good thing if someone aspires to be an elder, it is a good thing. But Jesus said you need to count the cost. And we, we, uh, we are blessed with three men elders who have counted the cost and who continue to serve us. Uh, but these, the, the, the weight on the shoulders of these elders, first of all, has to be borne by their relationship with the Lord. If a man is uh, serious about taking on that responsibility, it's too much weight to bear on your own. You need the Lord's grace to do that. But you know, the Lord also has appointed us a role in that. The sheep also can help take care of the shepherds because they're sheep as well, you know. Uh, so they need to be supported by us so that they can support us in return. So what are some of the ways that we can care for the elders. Well, what would be an obvious way? Pray for pray for, Pray for our elders. Uh, we can pray for them to have wisdom. Pray for them to have patience and endurance. Uh, pray for protection. You know, when the enemy wants to destroy uh, the, the church, he's going to go after the leadership. You know, it's a sad commentary that, you know, we've all seen over the years uh, stories of pastors who were well-known, famous pastors who got tripped up by the devil. And it brought and brought destruction to their ministry. It brought uh, shame to the church. Uh, dishonored the Lord. And so they're going to, we need to pray for their protection. We pray for them to be able to have peace as they're serving us. And uh, as the writer of Hebrews says, let's pray for them to be able to have joy in their service. Uh, and we need to pray for their provision, that they have what they need to have to function. Uh, we can also serve them by expressing love in different ways. How can we show love? Well, by just showing appreciation uh, with kind words. Uh, maybe <clears throat> have you written a note, a thank you note? Uh, consider this. As Lord, is there a scripture that you want them to have? You know, God may show you a scripture of encouragement. Just write it out and hand it out. Think this may be something God has for you. Uh, these are ways that we can show that we love them in return for their love for us. 
The third way we can help support them is just to uh, help provide for needs where we're able to. You know, we all have a certain amount of time, certain amount of energy. We all have gifts. Every believer has at least one gift, and that should be offered to the Lord. And it very well may be it'll be a, a gift that functions through this church. And also, we can offer for financial support. Um, and I'd like to focus at this point on the, one of the burdens that the elders have is to oversee the finances. Um, this church has a very frugal budget. You don't see a lot of stained glass here. In fact, I don't think I see any stained glass. <laughs> uh, it's a, a very cl uh, pleasant facility, but it's not real fancy. Uh, the people who serve in the church, their compensation, financial compensation here is very modest. Uh, in many cases, uh, it's all volunteer. Uh, we, the church, also uses some of our finances to support other min ministries. Uh, some of the finances that we have here are for outreach and evangelism, service in different ways. Uh, there also, <coughs> we have some money for benevolences to help people in need. But you know <coughs> that most churches in the summertime, uh, the attendance goes down and the giving goes down. And it's so common among churches, there's a name for it. It's called the summer slump. <laughs> and we have a summer slump here at Cornerstone also. Uh, now, let me ask, do you think that's the way it ought to be? Well, it's understandable. If somebody in the summer, people are going, are going to be out of town more on vacation or taking day trips and that kind of thing. But uh, I'm going to try to apply this to a personal situation. And uh, is Angie Johnson here? She was here earlier, wasn't she? Okay, yeah, she's the expert that I wanted to ask the opinion on. But uh, let's apply this situation. Let's say, <coughs> that apply the logic of giving less in the summer because we're away. Let's say I tell my bank <coughs> that I'm going to skip my mortgage payment in June. Uh, because I'm going to be away and I'm not going to be using my house in June. So I don't need to pay my mortgage. Uh, I think that the bank's going to say, oh, okay, that's fine, no problem. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, Angie works in the bank, so I thought she'd be able to verify that. <laughs> uh, no, the expenses still go on. Uh, you still got to make that mortgage payment, whether you're there or not. And as I said earlier, coming to church is not a spectator event. It's something we're, we're part of, and we need to support. So when I became aware, and I, I should have known this before, but I became aware recently of the summer slump here at Cornerstone, Jan and I felt like the Lord wanted us to respond to that. And so we felt like the Lord said, what he wanted us to do is that we're retroactively 
doubling our uh, donations to church retroactively for the last several months. And it occurred to me, you know, maybe that's something the Lord would put on your heart to do also, knowing that in the summer months there are going to be people who are away and they don't feel like they need to pay anything or need to make any donations to the church. But <clears throat> even if that happens, and that would be a blessing, I really think that's a stopgap kind of a thing. Uh, I believe there's a better way for the finances of the church to be met. And uh, I'll tell a little, little background to illustrate this. There are a number of us, including Nancy Harlow and, and, and others here, who have uh, who joined Cornerstone at the same time we did about 28 years ago. And we were in a small house church uh, called a Grace Covenant Church. Uh, there were, and I see Jonathan McCann's here also. No, or no, he's not. He looked like Jonathan McCann. <laughs> uh, we had a, a, a tiny church. We had the maximum we had, I think, was about 45 people, and that included children. And about half of the adults were college students. But everyone in the church, this little church, everyone gave a full tithe of their income. It was voluntary. Everybody chose to give a full tithe of their income. But with this tiny church, the fact that everyone tithed, it meant we had enough finances to support a full-time pastor. We were able to rent a house and this house, and it was mainly, we rented a house for some uh, mothers with small children whose husbands had left them or abused them. So it's a place for them to stay. And we had also had some money that we could support people. And Jack was part of that. Uh, support people in emergencies. Um, and uh, because everyone tied, it was amazing. This tiny little church. Now the church, there we had problems. The church was not a perfect church by any means. But as far as that aspect goes, the finances was a good testimony of what God can do. So I, I don't believe that we're necessarily commanded to tithe, but there certainly are precedents in Scripture for that. Now I'm going to try a little experiment here. Can you tell what this is? It's a, uh, it's a $10 bill. Let me think of 10 in the tithe, okay? Now, I want to I give this to someone here. What I want to do is, who, who feels that you could, without looking at your Bible or looking at notes, who could uh, name the Ten Commandments? It's a $10 bill for somebody who can name the Ten Commandments. Hmm. Maybe we need to study our Bible more. <laughs> can you tell me what the Eighth Commandment is? <laughs> well, I guess I get to keep my $10 bill. <laughs> Where do you want to go to lunch, huh? <laughs> um, well, the Eighth Commandment is you shall not steal. 
Now, what does that have to do with tithes? Talking about tithes. Well, there's a passage in Malachi chapter 3. And this, this passage can be abused, uh, I recognize. But it is scripture and there's appropriate applications as well. And this is what it says in Matthew, uh, Malachi 3, 8 through 10. <clears throat> Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? How have we robbed you? The answer is in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. This is the promise having to do with the tithe. You, put, you know, I know what comes in our mind. Uh, well, I've got bills to pay. And if I tithe, if I get 10% of my income, what bill am I not going to pay anymore? Uh, how's that going to work? Well, you know, <laughs> this is hard. This is a... a understandable worry or anxiety that we can have about tithing. But you know, uh, there's a favorite verse that people like to memorize. And it starts off, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that verse can apply to all kinds of things, can't it? And so it's a wonderful verse. But let's look at the context of that verse specifically when Paul wrote that. In Philippians chapter 4, <coughs> Sorry, I don't know how to. <coughs> All right. Okay, not not that I speak from want, because the uh, Philippians had just sent him some money. He was in prison in Rome, and he needed money for basic needs. They didn't provide him food or anything there. He had to buy his own. Not that I speak from want. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So you see, Paul talks about that provision of the Lord in dealing with financial issues as well. When, when Jan and I got married a little over 49 years ago, uh, we were on staff of Campus Crusade for Christ, and they gave us permission to raise $320 a month to live on. That was a big, big raise for me because when I was single, I could only raise 300 a month. So when you, if you get a wife, you can raise $20 more a month. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure who was, which one is supposed to live on the 20. But, uh, but we decided from the, the start that we, we wanted to give 10% of whatever we received to the Lord. And, you know, 
we we never starved. We always had food. We ought to had a had a roof over our heads. Uh, we had enough clothes that we didn't have to walk around naked. Um, we had all the basic needs that we had were met. And I don't think I, very rarely did I ever raise the full 320 a lot. But God provided for that, and we, and we tithed. Um, so let me ask, do you think it's giving too much to do that? I, uh, I know that most people who've heard me speak are wondering, when is C.S. Lewis going to come in here? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he had this to say. Someone asked about Al, about giving. As this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I have, I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we sp- can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, and so on is up to the standard common among those who have the same income as our own. We are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we would like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. Does that make sense? Do you think it would honor God and bless this ministry if everyone who came here was giving a full tithe? I believe it would. And it would also bless our elders who would have one less thing to be anxious about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul writes and says, And what do you have that you have not received? Now, if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? I think what that's saying is it's so very easy for us to think that what I have belongs to me. But the whole idea of stewardship is that everything we have, ourselves and all of our money and all of our possessions, they belong to the Lord. And we're to be his caretakers and to use it Whatever we do, use it in such a way that it's an honor and it pleases him. As Peter wrote, it says, we have been bought with a price, the price of his precious blood. I don't know if you've heard, been watching the news lately, uh, have you heard of a man named James Dunn? James Dunn was a a 31-year-old man who drowned in Cocoa, Florida. As he was drowning and calling for help, there were five teenagers standing on the edge of the pond, mocking him and saying, Drown, you're you're stupid. You were there. Uh, calling him names and saying you're gonna you're gonna die you're gonna you're you're gonna drown, and in fact he did. And while they're doing that, they videotaped it. 
when this went around. Now, what, when you think about people, these teenagers, mocking this man who is calling for help and drowning, what, what comes up within you? It's like, you know, there's a sense of, this ain't right. <laughs> this is really wrong. This is terrible. And there's justice to be done. Well, the strange thing is there is no law in Florida that says that you have to help somebody who's in trouble. In fact, there's not even a law that says you have to notify. And so right now what Florida is trying to do is they're trying to come up with a draft law that says at least you must call 911 or try to notify people if somebody's in trouble. But, you know, can you think of another person who was about 30 years old who was the victim of mockery? Now, the scriptures tell us in Matthew chapter 27, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, paying the penalty for your sin and for mine, is that those who were passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking him and saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. So why was Christ there? He was there because of me. He was there because of you. And, and Paul wrote and says, Do you not know that you have been bought with a price? You are not your own. You belong to him. And so what I am and what I have, it belongs to him. And uh, I need to have God remind me that, that my money is his. And I need to have the priority using that money in the way that is suitable to him. <clears throat> when I was growing up in a, in a Lutheran church in Atlanta, Georgia, there was a refrain that we used to there's set to music. I don't know, remember what the, word, the music was, but I remember the words. When they received the offering, <clears throat> as they were going up to present it to, at the front, we had a little song that we'd sing, and the words of the song is, We give thee but thine own, whatever the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a gift, O Lord, from thee. We give thee but thine own, whatever the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a gift, O Lord, from thee. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you give us the freedom and grace to be cheerful and fearless givers, to be good stewards of what belongs to you. 
And Lord, do this for your glory and, and to bless our shepherds and our Cornerstone family and to bless those who call on us to serve in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.